You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ikena Okeke of the Father's Church. Please join Pastor Ikena Okeke and be blessed. Praise the Lord. Our God is good. Our God is wonderful. Amen. Okay, on Sunday we looked at Matthew 16, essentially, and then Matthew 6. And we saw uh, quite a few things. We were reminded that God is our Father. Praise the Lord. So I'm not an orphan. God is my Father. In fact, I'm an Ajebota. Praise the Lord. Because he knows all the things that I need. And he does not drive me out and send me to say, Go and sort out yourself. He said, no, I, your father, will do what? Will take care of you. He gave me one assignment that I should seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. And he says, what? All the other things that the Gentiles are running after, what will he do? He said he will add them unto me. You know what an addition is? An addition is you are minding your business. Like the songwriter says, we go to worship our God, and he what? He will be doing it for us. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And then we saw how easy it is to step out of what is right and step into the completely opposite, almost to a dangerous dimension. When we saw Peter after he had, you know, said, Answer the question of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are the Christ. When our Lord Jesus asked, who is he? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then when Jesus began to say, now this is what the Christ is going to do. We saw that Peter, you know, being a a lover of Jesus sincerely, but not with revelation, praise the Lord, said to him, far be it from you, you will never go to the cross. I will see to it that that won't happen. And based on that, we saw our Lord Jesus' response. We saw it was extreme, it was sharp, because God does not joke with anything that is out of his will. You see, God's will must be done. That's why we're taught to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You see, if you've been in charge before, you know that you will not tolerate anything that is not your will. Even though as human beings, oftentimes we are wrong because we have wrong information and we have wrong expectations. Praise God. But Jesus rebuked Peter sharply. And he said to him, get behind me, Satan. He says, you're an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You see, I don't know whether you meditated upon that, but like I mentioned on Sunday, twice this scripture was recorded in the Bible that God said through his son Jesus to Peter, an apostle that we know today, get behind me, Satan. And it was the same twice that he also said to Satan himself, get behind me, Satan. It means that there is a thin line 
between even I missing it if I don't understand his ways. Praise the Lord. So part of what we're going to be doing tonight is to see to it that we genuinely know his ways. Praise the Lord. So that we don't switch without knowing. We don't, we are not in danger and then we think we're in safety. Because Peter must have thought, I'm the one that they're going to use to build a church. So I'm in charge now. I know what is going on. But we could see today how wrong he was. And we mentioned on Sunday, Psalm 103, verse 7, where we say God made known his ways to Moses. But to the children of Israel, what did they know? They knew his acts. And it's important as people of God in this generation, in this time, that we move out of the multitude, praise the Lord, and get amongst the disciples. So this evening, if you have your Bibles, please open with me Matthew chapter 5. And I wish you do have the message translation because that's where I want to read from. Message translation, Matthew chapter 5, from verse 1. I may not read much, just do the intro. It's a passage we are familiar with. The Bible says in Matthew 5 verse 1, it says, When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. So Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds. He climbed the hillside. Then those who were apprenticed to him, those who were apprenticed to him, the committed climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. Let me read the New King James and I'll get back to it. He says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, the multitudes came to him. Is that what the Bible said? No. When he saw the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. The multitudes did not come up the mountain. They remained where they were. Praise the Lord. But the Bible says, when he was seated, who came? His disciples came to him. My prayer tonight is that you and I will be separate from the multitude in the name of Jesus Christ. We began on Sunday by saying that our generation is in need. Our world is in need. There is a shaking of the heaven and the earth. There are troubles, all kinds of things everywhere. And Jesus, our Lord and Savior, has said to us that we are the salt of the earth. That we are what? The light of the world. However, this salt and light is not churchgoers. is not church members. It is disciples. Praise the Lord. That is what will answer the question like we keep saying here. There are so many, many, many people who claim Christianity. There are so many, many people who claim church membership or church attendance. But there are so few that are disciples. And that is why the challenge on us is to make sure that you and I will count like our dad, Dr. Kornoza, will always say to us. And make sure that we count. Why? Because I'm still going to come back to Matthew 5. When our Lord Jesus gave us the commission in Matthew 28, verse 18, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been what? Given to me, Matthew 28. 
It says, go therefore and what? Make disciples, not members. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You see, the way it is, is this. And unfortunately, it is so much like that. The way Christianity or church is or religion is in our time is like every other spectator sport. In a spectator sport, let's take it a football match. How many people are in the field? We have 11, 11, 22, you know, the linesman. But let's even take the players. We have 22 players. And these 22 players will determine what happens in that game, isn't it? How they play and how they don't play. Praise God. Now, how many people normally watch the match? You have thousands. Some matches you have 30,000, 40,000. Some matches you have millions from television screens all over the world. Do you know that that is how we have made the church now? That there are a few people who are playing and then the rest of them taking sides decide this is my team. So you find people that are ready to fight for their pastors, but they themselves are not living the life. You find people that are ready, you see, you, you insult Jesus or, you know, what, nobody answers you. But just touch their man of God. That's when you know that they have entered trouble. Why? Because these people are part of the game, but they are part of the game as spectators. They are church members. So they satisfy the need of their desire to watch and participate. Just like you watch a football match. If your team scores, you jump up and shout, isn't it? But you didn't kick a ball. They are your team. Praise the Lord. However, at the end of the day, the medal does not hang on your neck. The money that is paid does not come close to you. But you have an emotional high that says to you, your team won this match. Isn't that the way it goes? Unfortunately, that is what many churches, many places that are religious houses has become, where people just come and they're excited at what plays out on stage. Forgetting that in Christianity, everybody is called to be a player. Praise the Lord. There is no provision for spectatorship. Last Wednesday, we saw the scripture that said to us, Hebrews um, 12, 2. It says, looking unto what? Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In fact, first of all, verse 1 says, let us now, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses. So we are the runners now. Praise the Lord. We are the players. Say to yourself, I'm the one in the field now. I'm the one in the field. So it's not me saying the coach should change this person. You know how we always say, they should play uh, this person in this wing. They should play this. No, we are the ones in the field. Okay? Unfortunately, we have been reconditioned to become spectators. No, the spectators are the cloud of witnesses. They are the ones already now that have finished their own race and are watching us. We are not spectators. We are players. Praise the Lord. And our Lord Jesus Christ gave us the commission as long as we're here. He didn't say go and make members. He said go and make disciples. Who is a disciple? A disciple is an apprentice. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is an understudier. Praise the Lord. It's very important. The disciple is out to do one thing and one thing alone, to become exactly like his master. 
The disciple is not out to get something. I mean, it's a difficult one. I pray we catch it. The disciple is not out to get something from his master. The disciple is out to get his master inside of him. Praise the Lord. So the Bible says to you and I, Christ in us is the hope or rather the assurance of glory. The goal of every Christian is that he himself will be conformed to the image of Christ. However, you know and I know that that is not the goal of a lot of us. Why? Because we want to use Christ in Jesus' name and get something. There is nothing wrong with that. Because remember, he said to us, all authority has been given to me. But the purpose of the authority is that we become like him. Is someone following me this evening? Praise the Lord. So we have church goers and church members, and we lack disciples. And that is why our society is decaying. That's why the things we are hearing in our time, we are hearing it. And unfortunately, they are not even bothering us that we are hearing these things. You know why? Because these people are not disciples. They are not kingdom enforcers. So I'm using the word disciple and kingdom enforcers because the kingdom enforcers have one assignment also. They want his kingdom come. Anywhere they are, they say, thy word, kingdom come. The Bible tells us in book Chronicles and Kings, they say these are the men that banded themselves together to make David king according to the word of the Lord. You see, the Christian who is a disciple knows that this is assignment. He must make the kingdom come anywhere he is. Whether it's the woman in the kitchen cooking, whether it is the driver driving on the road, whether it's the man in the marketplace, whether it's some highly placed official in a government office, he knows he has one assignment to enforce the kingdom of his master where he is, wherever he's found. So he says, as you go, preach. Anywhere you are found as a disciple, your assignment is to see to it that the kingdom of God, and what is the kingdom? The king and his what? Dominion is established in that environment. Praise the Lord. God forbid that you will be anywhere and people are saying, where is God? Anywhere you are, you bring the knowledge of God, you bring the power of God, you bring the wisdom of God. That's why Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, took captives out of Judah. And when these captives were brought into Babylon, they wanted to make them copycats of what they had in Babylon already. And the highest they could have become would have been servants of Nebuchadnezzar. They, would have, they were to learn the language and the skills and the magic of Babylon, praise God. And then they would have lined up in their school and the king would have been using them. But unfortunately for Nebuchadnezzar, or rather I think fortunately for Nebuchadnezzar, and excitingly for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were disciples. So when they got to the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon did not change them. Rather, what did these men do? They outstanded the kingdom. They marveled them. So that when they were tested, they were found not to be in the realm of the Babylonians. That's why there was no score for them. The Bible says they were found how many? Ten times better than their teachers. Imagine writing an exam and scoring ten times better than what your teacher. 
And like we've said here, remember they had to learn the language. If you've been a foreign student, I know most of us have never experienced that. But foreign students will tell you that the first challenge they have is learning the language of the place. So these people had to learn the Babylonian language and still beat the Babylonians in their language. Is someone getting what I'm saying? Why? Because they were kingdom enforcers. Everywhere they were, they became conduits for God to be present. And that's why before the end of their story, Nebuchadnezzar himself says, the spirit of the living God one is inside of you. I pray that I provoke a desire in you watching, in you listening online, to have your life to be what? A conduit for the spirit of God. That is what Christianity is about. Christianity, I keep saying, is not about what I have. We're going to see quite a few scriptures tonight. Maybe I would even jump to it. In Exodus 33, Exodus 33, verse 16. Exodus 33, verse 16. I'm still going to go to 12, but 16. Say something here that you and I must take note of. It says, for how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? It says, so we shall be what? Separate. Can you give me the NLT version, please? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people. It says, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on your people if you don't go with us? It says, for your presence among us, what? Sets your people and me apart from what? All the other people on the earth. This is what a Christian wants. If you're getting it right, this is what you're looking for. So all that thing of I'm the richest, I'm the fastest, I'm the finest, I'm the most handsome, I'm the baddest, I'm the coolest, is not in the equation. What is in the equation is, is the presence of God confirming you anywhere you are. Because we found, like we saw in the story of Joseph, even though he was a houseboy in the house of his master Potiphar, he was not anything else but a houseboy. But he was a houseboy who had what? God with him. The same Joseph became a prisoner. So he was totally and completely a prisoner. But what? You know what? He was a prisoner who what? Had God with him. And because God was with him, he kept, he kept separating him and making him different until he fulfilled his destiny. It's the presence of God in your life that will cause you to end well. You will finish well. You will finish victoriously. In the name of Jesus. It's not the speed I run. It's not the money I handle. Praise the Lord. It's not the people that, you know, answer me, sir. It is the presence of the creator. Let's not forget that the God we are talking about now is Alpha and Omega. His beginning and his end. His God with whom... And for whom nothing is what? Impossible. So if it's with you, this moment can be a, such a transforming moment that your past will never look like what you become in the next hour. Praise the Lord, somebody. I think someone can receive that in the name of Jesus. So the people of God, you know, the religious people, must be careful that we step out of where we are in the group of members. And for those of us that are leaders... You know, it's something you must consciously fight. It does you no good to have a hundred thousand people following you, but these people are not disciples. They cannot stand. They can't stand. They can't bring the kingdom down. We have a country where things are happening 
and or rather not even a country, even in America, the, with the issues we are seeing coming up now with racism in America, we see that the church in America has not really done well. Because if they are done well, racism may be a problem for people who don't know God. But anybody who knows God and knows that the blood that saved him is the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will know that who were you, how dare you, how do you imagine that you're better than any other person? Praise the Lord. But you see, when the church has not presented disciples who look like Jesus, Imagine the Son of God washing the feet of some former fishermen, some you know, former corrupt tax you know, collectors and all of that. That is the height of humility. If anybody had a right to allow himself to be set apart from people and look down on people, it was who? It was Jesus Christ our Lord. But did he do that? No. He was a friend of sinners. He hung around with them. He carried children. He washed the feet of his disciples. He actually, even at a time, made breakfast for them. Can you think about that? That is Jesus Christ. So if the church truly in America got it right, they would have been, you know, at the forefront of wiping out racism. I pray they are getting it right now in Jesus' name. But what am I saying? The church, the true disciples are the light of the world. And in our own world, I always marvel, haven't we had... A Christian in some sensitive positions in our country. Because if a true Christian gets in there, they should make a lasting change. I think it was the anniversary of um, Dora Cunhilly's death recently. And you know when a Christian has passed through an environment. And mind you, she was not Pentecostal. So we have to disabuse our mind of whether somebody is vibrating. No. What makes you a Christian is the decisions you take. Praise the Lord. The stand that you take. So if not for her, I don't think we actually have any other, maybe someone here, there, that we can say somebody has gone through public office in Nigeria and made you know, us a little bit proud. I pray that as you're watching and you're listening, you'll be found in that number in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. So we said Psalm 103, Moses knew the ways of God. And this can be you know, likened to what we see in Matthew chapter 5. We are back in Matthew chapter 5. So it says, Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds. He climbed the hillside. He didn't go down to them. He took a step back. He had said, okay, you now know I'm somebody. Now he steps back to see their desire. Let me hear everybody say desire. You see, did I say that already that I want to change your desire? Praise God. Okay, maybe I don't want to change your desire. But I want God to catch your desire. I want God to be the one that controls your desire. Praise the Lord. The Bible says, Psalm 37 verse 4, you can give it to us please. It says, in Psalm 37 verse 4, it says, Delight what? Yourself also in the Lord. And what? He shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, we've learned here that you can look at this scripture in several ways, which is agreeable. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you what you what originally desire. But also, you can look at it this way, that if you delight yourself what, in the Lord, what will he do? He will give you what you should desire. Praise the Lord. He will give you what you should desire. And you know, interestingly, that is supported by scriptures. 
Our Lord Jesus speaking to us in John 15. Let us look at it. John 15 verse 7 and 8. We're still going to come back to Matthew 5. John 15, 7 and 8. This is what Jesus said. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Okay. You will ask what, what? You desire and it shall be done for you. Now look at it this way. Take a step back. Jesus says, for me to get what I want from him, what is the process? I abide in him. Okay? And then he now says, if I abide in him, what is going to happen? His words will do what? Will abide in me. You know what that is, what is happening there? He's taking me over. Praise the Lord. If I abide in him, he will do what? Take me over. When he takes me over, he will now instigate and inspire what I will ask. Then when I ask what he wants me to ask, it shall be done for me. Let me give you help you. Look at verse 8 and see. Immediately verse 8 now says, the next verse. It says, by this my father is glorified. That what? That you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So he's saying, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you know what you want to be? You want to be a good disciple. You know, we use that scripture to teach people to name it and claim it and, you know, receive whatever they want. It's okay if it is along your discipleship. Because remember, we mentioned Daniel. Daniel and his friends had to get an anointing from God that will make eating water and vegetable make them look fresher and better in appearance than those who ate the king's delicacies. It was a miracle that was happening there. Praise the Lord. It is part of what the Bible is saying. They were abiding in him. So whatever they asked, the king's uh, eunuch, the person that was taking charge of them, said, this thing you're asking is going to endanger my life. They said, try us. At that moment, what would they do? They would ask of God, and God also made their own case different. May God, in the path of your discipleship, make your own case different in Jesus' name. So we see Jesus here, you know, retreating the same thing. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he will change your desire so that your desire conforms with his original desire. Remember, you know, I don't know if you often do this. I do that for myself a lot. I was born in 1969. I often remind myself that 1967, somebody knew me. Praise the Lord. 1950, somebody knew me. He says, before I formed the word, in your mother's womb, what happened? I knew this. Even you didn't know yourself until maybe you were 15 years or 12 years or 7 years. But somebody knew you long before you knew you. Now, this person who knew you before you knew you, you and him, who should know better what you need? Praise the Lord. It's like when you look at children these days and you're trying to guide them and direct them and all of that. The way they argue. And they forget you knew them before they knew themselves. Praise the Lord. And all the children in the house says, hallelujah. Praise God. I mean, that's what it is. You knew them before they knew themselves. But all of a sudden, they think they know, you know, more than any other person. Anyway, so this God knows us. And that is why he's calling us to know him. Now, we are back to Matthew 5. This Matthew 5, verse 1. It says, those who were apprenticed to him, they committed, climbed with him. And then arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. So God, who said to us, do not cast your pearls before swine. You know, Jesus said that to us. 
Do you think he's going to cast his spells before swine? You think God is going to be running around trying to spread his revelation and knowledge of himself everywhere? No. He's going to watch to see, do you really want to know him? Do you really want to know him? When he sees your desire to really want to know him, you know what he's going to do? He will now then begin to what? To open your eyes. To open your understanding so that you can begin to comprehend him. Now, that separation is what is key. Everyone listening, I pray that you desire and earnestly move out of the multitude so that you can get into the place where Jesus will want to show you the ways of the kingdom. Praise the Lord, somebody. And that is what we begin to find in verse 3 now. Verse 3 begins, we can go back to New King James now. It begins to say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs what is the kingdom of heaven. Now, nobody wanting to, you know, take over a kingdom will call people and say, I need you to come. Let's go and fight to take over this kingdom. And tell them you're going to be blessed as you're poor in the spirit. If anybody says that, what is going to happen? The people will turn and go away. Isn't that what they'll do? Because that's not what they want. They don't want to hear that. Look at the next one. The next one, verse 4, says, Blessed are those who mourn. They'll say, this man, are you serious? Do you want, do you want followers at all? Praise the Lord. Are you serious? The next one says what? Blessed are the meek. Meek is a higher form of being humble. Praise God. Now, nobody wants to join that team. You understand what I'm saying? The next one says, blessed are those who do what? Who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The next one says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Now, these things our Lord Jesus Christ is teaching. is teaching the desire of God that if you get it, you will now find out that your own desires are being met and exceeded. But you see, spectators in this religious game will never want it. What they want is the excitement. What they want is the cheer. But Jesus is showing us the way. Remember, we said Moses knew what? The way. But the children of Israel saw the output. They didn't know how it came out. Jesus here began to teach those of us who want to be his disciples. This is how you find and make progress in this kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He says for what? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can imagine if every Christian you knew and every Christian amongst us was continually pursuing this blessedness. It's called the Beatitudes, where this was our pursuit as Christians in this nation. Do you think Nigeria will be the same? Nigeria cannot be the same. But you know what? Most Christians, you see, what are they pursuing? Success. So you see teaching on success principles, overcoming principles, breakthrough principles. Now, those things are there, but that is not what disciples look for. That is not the path the disciples go. The disciples follow this path, and as they follow this path, the master himself does what? Orchestrates their victory. Imagine Daniel in the kingdom of Babylon. What good could he have imagined coming out from saying, I won't eat the delicacies of the king? I mean, you can't imagine any. It doesn't make sense. It means he wants to fail. No person will tell him that's a good one, man. That's a good strategy to stand out in Babylon. Nobody will tell him that. Praise the Lord. Nobody. But you see, that's why we're talking about disciples. We're talking about kingdom enforcers. 
because we belong to a different what? Kingdom. And the ways of this kingdom are totally different. So it talks about meekness. It talks about hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? Because when, these are the things that God will behold and be able to commit his kingdom and endowment to you. Praise the Lord. Our Lord Jesus teaching us says, without me you can what? Do nothing. That's a statement that is very strong. Without me you can do nothing. It means whatever you're doing without me, at the end of the day will amount to nothing. That will not be a portion in the name of Jesus Christ. So we see here our Lord Jesus teaching, not the multitudes, that's the point I'm making. Teaching the disciples, this is how it works inside. This is the internal working. This is how those players, you know, get to be able to play. You're not a spectator now, you're in the field. It says, these are the blessedness you will pursue. You will put any environment you find yourself in, you will pursue peace. You will pursue righteousness. You will pursue meekness. All the things, the flashy things and the things that the world is throwing around you, they are not your concern. Your concern is this, I'm going to be a part and a participator in this kingdom. And this is how we enforce it. Praise the Lord, somebody. Interestingly, as men over the years have done that, they have seen the very things that other men, like we started with, are pursuing, doing what? Being added to them. Why? Because God is the creator of what? The world. God is the creator. God has the metrics of this world. Recently, I don't know if you heard the news that the Chinese that built the, is it the African Union headquarters or somewhere? That they planted, you know, some uh, spying devices, listening video and all, all kinds of things. When someone builds a place for you, okay, like Asorok was built by uh, Julius Berger, okay, if Nigeria wants to be serious about being a nation, we need to know what to do about that place. Because whatever they're discussing there, I'm sure the builders have put in systems. Okay, we have almost everything we have are being built by foreigners. These people who build these things, in fact, I understand that in Asorok, the bulbs and the key knobs and everything there cannot be changed except by them. They configured it in such a way that you continually be dependent on them for the maintenance. You know why they built it? Now, God built this world. Then you should expect that the maintenance and the enjoyment of this world should flow from who? From the knowledge and the blessedness of God. Praise the Lord, somebody. So in Job 22, Job, you know, uh, friends were, were saying to him, verse 21, he says, Acquaint now yourselves with him and be at peace. Actually, when you go home because of time, read it down to 30. He says, Acquaint now yourselves with him and be at peace. Thereby good will come. That's saying what acquainting. So as disciples, we see that what we are called to every day, sometimes it might get repetitive, it might get boring, is that every time they're telling you, please God, know God, get close to God. Isn't that what you keep hearing? Every time you're coming, it's here, you know, obey God, love God, serve God, you know, know God. They're saying, what about me running faster and getting something? God is your father. You are his what? Child. For those of us who have children here, does your child know how much rent you pay? Does your child know how much fuel, as you drive your child to school, does he know how much they sell fuel per liter, my sister? Do they know how much a liter of fuel is? But the child goes to school and comes back. Why? Because his father 
knows. That's what we are being called to. Praise the Lord. So we see all of that and we begin to, as children of God, begin to narrow down the way we will make progress and prosper in this kingdom. And how do we do that? We ask ourselves, what does God want? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What does God want? Because you see, I remember most of us are professors and lecturers in school that have told us that. He said, give me exactly what? What I want. When you do that, what do you get? You get an A. Give me what I want. <laughs> Praise God. When you do that, you get an A. You might be so intelligent. Give me what I want. You can add your own extra, but give me what I want. What does God want? Hosea 6 verse 6. Let's look at it. Hosea 6 verse 6. He says, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Message puts it in an interesting way, which even takes us further beyond the multitudes. It says, for I'm after love that lasts, not more religion. I want you to know God, not to go to more prayer meetings. You see, we have religious activities in our country. We have all-night prayer, we have all-day prayer, we have along-the-road prayer, we have weak prayer, we have dangerous prayer, we have midnight intervention prayer, we have beginning-of-month prayer, we have first day of the month. Some people are looking at me somehow. We have all kinds of prayers, and people are rushing to these things, putting faith in them. They are not what God wants. Those are things that excite spectators. Praise the Lord. Those are things that, you know, that make spectators think this is what will bring the turnaround. I'm always amused when I see people advertise such things and I see the responses they get. When I hear even the loud amens to prayers that come from the pulpit, I marvel. Your amen cannot answer the prayer. It's your alignment that will answer the prayer. Praise the Lord. It's your alignment. We learned, I think it was two Wednesdays ago. It says the effectual fervent prayer of what? A right standing man avails much. Elijah said, as the Lord God lives before what? Whom I stand. is this standing before God that gave power to the prayer. That is what prayer is about. God is saying to us, he says, I want you to know God. I want you to know God. You see, what you know, oh Lord, have mercy on us. Praise the Lord. You see, when you see a man who knows an engine or a machine or maybe a phone or something like that or keyboard or something, when they operate it, there's a power that flows because of acquaintance. Even if some things are not working, they're able to make do with what is working to achieve their result. Why? They know him. That's what God is saying. You can come to the point where you know me and you're able to get things out of me. That's what David had. David has such a knowledge of God that David could get some things out of God that others couldn't get. Praise the Lord. And he's calling us to that place. Can you give us the living Bible? The living Bible puts another interesting dimension to it. It says, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. You see, the hunger of every genuine Christian must be, I want to love you. And this forms the foundation for departing from evil. I can't understand how somebody can be saying, I'm a Christian, I love God. And then you're enjoying evil. There's a difference between overtaking by evil and enjoying it. 
Enjoying it means you're doing it, you're covering it, you're defending it, you're plastering it, you're whitewashing it, you're doing it again. But there's an overcoming. Because let's not forget, the Peter that was called Satan is Peter the Apostle now. So there's a process of sanctification. Praise the Lord. There's a process of growth. But you see, when you love God, when you love somebody, what is it you do with the person? The person's happiness becomes your fulfillment, isn't it? That's what it is. So if I love God, if I say I want my desires to love God or to know God, constantly I'm challenging myself. I'm pushing myself to honor him, to please him. You can't say you love your wife or you love your husband and then you're continually doing Things that provoke them. It cannot be love. Praise the Lord. It cannot be love. So God is saying here, what do I want from, I want the people who love me. And then love also provokes jealousy. Talking about our nation. How can you be in an office and things are being done that don't bring glory to God. Not just don't bring glory to God. Are a burden on God's people. And it's an, you know, it's injustice, inequity. All of that. And you're okay with it because you're personally alright. If that means that it's not God you love, you love yourself. And we have many self-lovers. In fact, if you went out now and take a sample, listen to most of what you call a sermon from most of what you call in a religious center. I don't want to use church. You will see that the teachings are geared towards loving yourself and enjoying yourself. And getting something for yourself. Now, there's nothing wrong with that if it's not in church. But if it's in church, the church is about Jesus. There's only one champion in church. Praise the Lord. There's only one king in church. There's only one master in church. In fact, Jesus said to us that the goal of the disciples is what? To be like his teacher. So we just want him. The goal of the disciple is to be like his teacher. The goal of the Christian is to make his teacher known. If you know Jesus, you don't need to know me. Praise the Lord. If I'm able to get you to love Jesus, don't even remember my name. Why? Because I am his disciple. Like he said, he said the joy of the best man is fulfilled by the joy of the bridegroom. As long as the groom is happy, the best man is happy. Does the best man have wife? He doesn't have wife, but his groom has wife. That's what Christianity is about. As you understand this thing, you begin to enjoy this journey. You know why? Because Jesus will always win. He will always win. So if you are following him and desiring his victory, you will always be on the winning side. When the Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith, it says that everywhere and anywhere, as long as you stand in faith, you will win. That's how come they will put Daniel in the lions, then he'll win. Why? Because Daniel was not about himself. That's why they will tempt Joseph with adultery and he runs naked and they put him in prison and he still ended up winning. So when the Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, it's simple there. It says to those who love God means they don't love themselves. When the Bible says, and they overcame one by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, the third one we hardly hear it. What does the third one say? They did not love their lives. And do you know that that is a precondition for discipleship? The same passage that we read on Sunday, Matthew 16. After our Lord Jesus Christ said to Peter, you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. The next verse, the Bible says, and now Jesus said to the disciple, if anyone wants to follow me, 
We must first of all what? Matthew 16, verse 24. Matthew 16, 24. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, not the multitude again, remember, not the multitude. He said to his disciples, what? If anyone desires to come after me. Can you see the word desire again? He said, let him what? Deny himself. The greatest obstacle between you and becoming a disciple is yourself. You must say to yourself, I don't count in this equation. As long as you push Jesus ahead, you will make a very good disciple. And now, because Jesus is the good shepherd, and the Bible says the good shepherd, what does he do? He lays down his life for the sheep. That disciple cannot be forsaken. Can you see the way the thing wraps itself up? You give up yourself for him. He himself lays his life down for you. Which one would you want? Do you want a refund of your life or do you want a gift of the life of Christ? Praise the Lord. My life a zillion times over is not worth up to 1% of Jesus' life. But that is what I am to gain if I get this thing right. That's why the Apostle Paul can tell us all the things that were gained to me. What he says, I counted them lost. So I'm not looking for anything again. I'm just looking that it be glorified. I think there's a song that says now, all I want for you to be glorified, for you to be lifted. That's what it is. That's what disciples are about. When that becomes the pursuit of those who call themselves Christians, the world will change. The world will change. And it has to come from the teaching. So that as you're listening, you know that the goal for you as a Christian, I pray to dedicate your SUVs and to dedicate your duplexes and to dedicate your factories and to dedicate your, you know, major organizations. Pastor Lord, you know my prayer for you, that you become God and Julius Beggar. I prayed all this, you know. So I pray for all of that. But you see, Moses said, how shall we be distinct from the rest of the people? He says, when your presence is with us everywhere we go. Let's bow our heads as we go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to ask the Lord, I don't want to be a spectator. And you know, our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to us. He says the road that leads to life is narrow, and there will be few that find it. He says the road that leads to destruction is broad and many. I would never forget this picture of a football match. 22 people are playing. They determine what goes on. Thousands are watching. I want you to step out of those thousands and enter into these 22 players because those are the people that will enter the kingdom. Let no man deceive anybody. Jesus has made it clear. The way that leads to life is narrow. And how do we get into this road? It's by leaving the multitudes. Jesus saw the multitudes and he climbed up. He took it a notch higher. Tonight, I want you to say from your heart, Lord, I'm coming up. I am coming up. I'm leaving the ground. I'm leaving low level. Lord, change my desire. Lord, change my heart. Change my heart. Give me the heart of a disciple. Let me seek you. Let me seek to please you. Let me become one that will give you pleasure. I want to be a lover of Jesus. In all sincerity, but more than that, in, with revelation. I want to know your ways. I want to love you. I don't want to offer to you more burnt offerings. There is nothing wrong with burnt offerings, you know, for them. There is nothing wrong with the prayer meeting. But I want to know you so that my prayers are not an abomination to you. James told us that many prayers we pray, we pray amiss. Lord, help me tonight so that I can be in the number. I can be amongst those you can put the weight of your kingdom. 
above all, so I can be those ones that you will say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Lord, I want to thank you for these, your sons and daughters. Just like I have told them, you're a good shepherd. As they lay their lives down to pick up your agenda, Lord, I pray, look at them. Let none, according to your word, be tempted beyond what they can bear. Fight their battles for them. Give them victories. You did it for Daniel. You fought his battles. Lord, fight the battles of these ones. Let them wake up to hear testimonies. Let them, oh Lord, be surprised by the mighty things, wonderful things, awesome things you'll do on their behalf. Lord, those who put their trust in you, your word says, will never be put to shame. I declare that these ones will not know shame. In the name of Jesus Christ, they will be found, oh Lord, standing victorious at the end of the day. Thank you, our Father. Thank you, our God. We give you all the praise and glory. For in Jesus Christ's name we have prayed. Praise the Lord. Okay. God bless you. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Ike Naokeke of the Father's Church. We are sure you've been blessed. We invite you to worship with us at Eden Center, Banex Guarimpa Expressway, near Next Kashinkari, Abuja. For telephone 09-290-9000 or 0703-158404. You can find us online at www.thefatherschurchonline.org. God bless you.